Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome in to This Week in Arsenal, episode 27. It is Sunday, September 10th, 2023. Um, I'm Sham. You can follow me on Twitter at Shamsdale. I'm here with Sash. You can follow it uh, at LT Arsenal. You can check out the pod uh, at This Week Arsenal on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube. Or sorry, subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, you know, like the video, uh, share with your friends. You can also check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And um, we're back. We're about... Halfway through, another, um, I don't want to say pointless, but it feels that way, international break. And we're going to talk about the United match. We're going to talk about a couple departures that we've had from the club recently, as well as a few other things. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. But, you know, Sash, how, how are you feeling, my friend? How, uh, you know, how's, how's Arsenal been treating you lately? Uh, still yet to recover from last week. From the 88th minute when United uh, scored the winner through Garnacho, which then was ruled out, to the winner that Declan Rice scored. And then, of course, Gabriel Jesus with that amazing um, fake and then finish. Still yet to recover from that, to be honest. I think every day my daily ritual has been uh, to go and see the highlights of the game, to go and <laughs> see the bench cam videos, uh, which really show how... Um, involved every single uh, uh, player stroke staff member is in this project. Like even guys like Smithrow and Trossard who are not playing, you can see how happy they are for their teammates. And yeah, I mean, I've just been seeing that on repeat and also winding up United fans on Twitter because my word, are they angry or what? Um, which is quite <laughs> ironic because that is a club, that is an institution that's built on getting decisions from referees, from their friends Howard Webb and Mark uh, Clattenburg. And for once, when some decision didn't go their way, which I don't even think was the wrong decision, by the way, uh, they have this meltdown. It was hilarious to watch. And against any other side, I would say let's win in a professional way. But against United, I actually prefer us winning in this way with a little bit of controversy with some decisions. I prefer that because... I cannot stand that fan base and to see them <laughs> melting down um, brings a huge smile to my face. So, yeah, that's that's that sums up, I think, the last seven days uh, for me this week. Uh, how about yourself, Sham? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've um, I, I, I've been good, just kind of basking in the win. I mean, beating United ahead of an international break, I think, is one of the best ways to go into a break. Yeah. Because um, they're, you know... I, I like like you said, just the whole way that game panned out, right? From from Declan Rice scoring his first goal for the club to win the match, and then Jesus uh, sending Diogo Dallo for a hot dog in in Alaska uh, to you know score a really classy third to uh, you know Garnacho being offside, but it was the wrong angle. It was the wrong <laughs> angle. That was my favorite part. Just just finding out that seventy five percent of United fans don't know basic geometry. 
um, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, uh, it was a really, really, uh, I guess stressful at the time, but now looking back, just such a sweet, sweet way to, to win that match. And before, before we get started, I just, I have a few words for a certain Mr. Eric Ten Hag. And I, I, I just want to say it, Eric, it, it feels like from the moment you started at United, someone took you aside real quick at the beginning and said, what you need to do to win these people over is disrespect Arsenal and Mikel Arteta every chance you get. And my God, you have really taken that advice and run with it. Every single time this man talks about us or our manager, it, it, it's it's in like this really condescending way that just reeks of this opinion that there's no way Arsenal could be better than United. There's there's no way that Arteta could be a better manager than Eric Ten Hag. Last season, right, this guy was bitching and moaning and just saying, they're like, oh, we've had so many injuries. Arsenal never have injuries. They're so lucky. And then what happened? Two weeks later, we had Saliba go out. We had Tomiyasu go out. But even, but even before that, you know, Jesus was out for three months. Yeah. Uh, Zinchenko was getting injured. Party was getting injured. Um, you know, and, you know, this summer when we played them in New York, this whole, you know, we don't play friendlies uh, nonsense, right? And then United celebrated a two, was it was it 3-1 or 2-1? I don't even remember at this point. But they celebrated a friendly win like it was mm -hmm. a World Cup victory. And now that they came to our house and they lost, you have Eric Ten Hag doing three different post-match interviews just complaining over and over and over. Oh, it, uh, Garnacho was onside. Oh, uh, Johnny Evans was fouled. How could you not give this? Uh, you know, oh, uh, there was a penalty on Hoyland. Oh, uh, Havertz should have gotten a yellow card if you overturned the penalty. Just, just crying and crying and crying. So my advice to you, Eric, is to keep our name out of your mouth and focus on the burning house that is your club. So that's all I have to say. Um, yeah, just 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 a really, really pathetic display from him, especially after that game. You know, everyone else, uh, you know, I understand. I understand the fans getting upset. But as a manager to to do three different post-match interviews and dedicate almost all of that to complaining about refereeing decisions and like writing a thesis on what exactly they did wrong. Um, that's that's horrendous leadership, in, in, in my opinion. So yeah, uh, I'm yeah. glad he lost and I hope he continues losing. And even during the Gabriel Jesus goal, by the way, um, Eric Ten Hag was appealing for offside, even though the run was made from the, our own half. This guy never wants to admit that his team might lose. And as you mentioned, even earlier on this year, last season, when we won that match, it was like, oh, Arsenal, the, none of their goals were great. Uh, they didn't make any clear-cut chances. But that game, I think we hit Man United's penalty box. We set some record in terms of the number of times the ball was inside United's penalty box for the first time since like 2006 or something like this, some crazy stat like that. But this guy, he's living in his own world. He's yeah. not beat one team in the top nine in the last uh, two seasons, basically since he's taken over, which is crazy to think about. Like this is worse than Wenger's final season where we had three away wins. Like this is crazy against top nine teams to get one point and if he keeps deflecting and he doesn't publicly acknowledge the problem, I don't think they're ever going to solve it, you know. And there's no yeah. harm admitting that you've lost the game. 
I think in the past, Arteta, there have been games we played quite well. Like I remember this game in 2020 against Spurs. We lose 2-0. Um, Son and Kane scored in the first half. And Arsenal played quite well that game. We created a few chances. We didn't score. Arteta is quick to say we played well, but credit to Spurs for the win because they were good in the boxes, you know. And yeah. at least he acknowledges when the opponent does better. But Ten Hag, oh my God, he just lives in his own world where his team is the best. And um, even after 7-0 against Liverpool, like, there's no acknowledgement that, oh, the opposition is so good. They were superior. There's never that acknowledgement. And I think with an attitude like that, you won't go very far because, you know, you have problems to deal with in your own team. And unless you recognize those problems, you're never going to solve it. So... It's not yeah. surprising for me to see him be as salty as he is after what we've seen um, recently from him. And also, I think from his point of view, he's trying to deflect, obviously, United. They have a lot of issues. I thought it was quite hilarious the way Sancho made that post um, right after uh, the game just to add salt yeah. to the wounds. And Ten Hag calling him out in the press conference saying he's not training well, which I think is a horrible idea to do, especially after a defeat. Um, and no, Fab played a Sancho to be honest for putting out that statement <laughs> and creating the chaos. Um, yeah, absolutely love that. And I think Ten Hag he he got what he deserved at the end. Yeah, and just you know to offer a a serious a footballing critique, you know mm-hmm. Ten Hag at the beginning of the season said we're going to be the best counter attacking team in the world, and you know. As a, if you want to win games on a consistent basis, you have to do things that lead to winning games more often than not, right? That means controlling possession. That means controlling the pitch, you know, in terms of the, the different areas and controlling where the opponent is going to put the ball. That means uh, having more of the field tilt. That means having more shots, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just going to pack your box and try to hit people on the counter the way, you know, Burnley would do a few years ago or the way you know Everton are going to do to us this season you're rolling the dice every single game so to to come out and say we deserve to win the game no you didn't you did not you had 45% possession you had 25% at the final third entries you had uh fewer shots than we did you know we we ran that game we controlled it so also also you know, just looking at the chances that they made they had one chance, like which was apart from the goal that they scored with Rashford, which was a great finish. They had that one chance where I think Martial hits it against Ramsdale, and then the ricochet is then blocked by Saliba. And yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that's a big chance. I would say that's like, yeah, it could. It's like a 50-50 sort of a chance. But that's all they created. They didn't have one chance where you're like, oh shit, this guy's one v one with our keeper. He's going to score. Garnacho's goal, yeah, I get it, 80th minute, but he was offside. But what did they really create throughout the game? They did nothing. It was just Onana passing it to the two centre-backs. And apparently, they dominated the game. And apparently, Onana is this amazing keeper on the ball for playing three-yard passes that even De Gea would have made. So, absolutely delusional. And, like, this is crazy because United in the past, like, if they played like this under Sir Alex in 2008, Fans would be fuming, you know. I just know it. Like the fans would be fuming. Sir Alex would also not be happy. But it seems crazy to think that this is counted as a good performance, and they 
deserve to win the game like oh my god i don't know why that's even coming from based on what like it makes no sense i can even understand if they said we were a bit unlucky with the garnacho goal uh it was so close yeah it was offside but it was really close uh but another day that could have gone in and maybe we nick a point if if they said that i would be like yeah you have a point there like maybe on another day he scores and maybe you even win the match i would i would accept that but to say you deserve to win the game based on how you played without creating any chances and arsenal had so many chances sham throughout the game yeah what we, we had not so many but we had a few big chances like we had saka uh, after the 70th minute mark where he or the 80th minute mark where he had that big chance which was saved we also saw in the first half kai havertz big chance missed it we saw martinelli as well curving one in that was really close on another day that could have also gone in so we had a few chances despite arsenal being quite poor this match not getting out of second gear i think we had a few chances and as arteta said in his post match press conference on another day we win this match much earlier and you know there's not much of a fuss like even the havertz penalty you know you saw rashford last week against forest that was given as a penalty so why can't this be given a pen this like absolutely no consistency with the officiating at all um yeah so you know arsenal could have won this match much earlier and for united fans to say they deserve to win it it's hilarious the tears on the timeline oh my god absolutely hilarious shaman yeah i mean if they keep if all if all they want to do is to say that we played well even though they didn't play well that's their opinion let them go ahead with it but what i'll tell you is that they're not going to win many games of football playing the way they did against us when we ourselves were quite poor yeah yeah i think i think what i learned from this match about each team is i learned that we we have some work to do right we you know things seem a little bit disjointed but we're still we're still creating chances and there's still you know that fight in the team and that's that that's that's the thing that you know still makes me confident right is the fact that this team are willing to fight back and win games and play until the final second right um you always have a shot when that's the case so i feel i feel fine about us i again there's some growing pains i think particularly on the left hand side that you know we need to address in the coming weeks so we'll see what happens there but with united i think they're in trouble i i think united are really in trouble and um you know i i don't think ten hogs tactics are particularly smart i don't um obviously you know i don't want to comment specifically on you know the big um you know news issues surrounding the club um at at this point in time i i don't want to look like i'm point scoring i don't want to look like i'm you know commenting on things i don't know the full picture of but you know they have a lot of big red alert issues happening in that club right now that are definitely going to impact the team on the pitch um yeah it just feels really disjointed and i think eric ten hogs kind of recruited poorly for the last season and a half at this point so if they don't figure something out i think we're talking about a team that probably is lucky to make a europa league place um they're just yeah they just do not look good right now and they're they're relying on a lot of players who don't have a track record of of putting in the kind of performances that they need to you know to get away with it yeah absolutely and i think you know i'm not i really don't care about united beyond the point and 
let yeah. them suffer if they have to suffer. <laughs> like, uh, I think my whole childhood. Yeah, I think my whole childhood was sort of ruined because of United and how good they are. They were, and for them, yeah, to dip right now, I'm not complaining. I'm just sitting back um, and enjoying the fun. Um, but you know, we are an Arsenal podcast. We are this week in Arsenal, so I think now we can move on to Arsenal and actually discuss like how we've fared so far this season. Also, touching a bit on the United game, so. Sham, I firstly wanted to get your thoughts on like the question that's on everyone's mind, and that is Kai Havertz. Oh, um, no. <laughs> everyone's asking us about Kai Havertz. No, what is he doing? What is this? What is that? Against United, he didn't have a great game, but on another day, he has a goal scored, which he oh my god, that he should like that was such a bad miss, but he yeah. should have scored that one, and he should have also won a penalty. And again, if you go back to his previous games against Palace, really good ball to Martinelli should have scored. Martinelli doesn't score against um, Nottingham Forest. A really nice pass to Declan Rice, who should have scored. Hits the post. Things could have looked a bit different for him, I think, in these four games. And yeah. it's just little things that are that are not happening for him in the final third. If you're being honest, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on Kai Havertz, the player. Uh, and are we discussing Kai Havertz so much? Like, why is he being talked about to the level he is? Like, the pressure is crazy, and I also don't get why fans are not patient with him. Because if this guy came from Leverkusen, everyone would be backing him because they're like, "Ah, oh, he's yeah. a talented player." I think part of the reason people are not backing him is because he came from Chelsea, and Chelsea, as we know, they've been a graveyard for talents in recent seasons. So. I don't get it, Sham. Like, why? I don't get the agenda on Havertz. Like, shouldn't we be giving him more time? Yeah, I. I mean, I. Th- I think he's. A, I'll put it like this. I think people's analysis of Havertz is very results oriented, but for for me, I'm trying to look at the process, and I'm trying to look at what he's actually doing. Like, that's repeatable on a game-to-game basis. And what he's doing on a game-to-game basis is he's contributing, I think, almost to the level that Xhaka did for us off the ball, right? He's he's winning duels, particularly aerial duels. He's making ball recoveries. He's, you know, pressing. He's winning the ball back, um, you know. And he's he's also making some really good runs to open space up for you know the likes of Martinelli and he's he did it a couple times for Rice as well, um, you know he's helping move the defense around and you know it's he, he's he's doing a lot of good stuff off the ball that you know I for for me personally you know caused me to have more patience with him but then you know we talk about the what ifs in terms of how things could look a lot different for him and you you mentioned a couple couple things there right. Um, really great pass pass to Martinelli. They really should just be hitting first time at this level. Um, he also uh, set up a chance for Rice. There were a couple times against Palace where Saka laid the ball off for him, and um, you know one time he uh, he got put off. I think it was by Calvin Bassey. Oh, sorry, this this is Fulham. This is Fulham. Sorry, uh, he got put off by Calvin Bassey in front of an open net, and then he didn't gamble on a ball right across the face of goal. They could have scored as well. Um, you know, against United again, he he missed a really good chance. Um, so you know, like I said last time, we're we're not far away from a timeline in which Havertz has 
anywhere between three and five goal contributions at this point in the season, which I think is a really great return. Um, so he's, you know, he's contributing really well off the ball. I think he's one of our better off the ball players. And then on the other side of that, he's getting into very dangerous positions, right? But I, I think it's just a matter of the execution isn't there. Maybe that's a confidence thing. Maybe, you know, he's still um, having trouble adjusting to the team. But I think one problem especially is that he's just not, he hasn't really built those relationships yet with with other people around him, right? I think Martinelli in particular, almost all the time when Martinelli gets the ball and has that option to, to pass to Havertz and combine, Martinelli kind of chooses to, you know, either run at his his opposite man, the right back, or he'll kind of take the ball into the area that Havertz is already occupying and, and try to do things on his own there. So I think they need to work on the relationship there. Um, I think, you know, Rice and Odegaard don't pass too much as well. And Kedia um, also doesn't combine with him as much. So I want to see Havertz on the pitch when Jesus is starting. I think Jesus and, and Zinchenko together, I think might help um, you know, just create more opportunities for Havertz. But yeah, it's, you know, I I I don't love what I'm seeing, but I still think it's good. And I, it just strikes me that he's a guy who's adapting to a team and the players around him aren't really adapting to him either. That's a two-way street. Um, as, as for why people aren't giving him patience, I think it's twofold. I, I, I think, first of all, you know, we're talking about a guy that we signed from Chelsea who all of us spent the better part of four years clowning Chelsea for signing, right? We've been making fun of this guy over and over and over because Chelsea loves spending big money on, you know, world-class talent and then ruining them. So I think it's hard for people to flip that switch once someone joins your team and kind of go from being like, oh, this guy sucks to, well, he's one of us now, so I'm I'm going to back him. Um, and that might that might be hypocritical, but that's also kind of part and parcel of being a fan. The second reason why I think people don't have much patience with him is because he just has a very languid style, right? He reminds me a lot of Uzel in that respect, where you know Uzel would cover a lot of ground sometimes, and people would kind of look at him jogging around and think, oh, he doesn't care. But that's you know it's just kind of like the vibe that some players have like the, the aura that some players have where, you know, they don't look like they care, but then you, you check the the heat maps and you see that this guy covered like 75% of the pitch and like was like had the second most kilometers run in the entire match. So um, I think, I think a lot of it is predetermined. I think people kind of saw Havertz get signed for 65 million and maybe they wanted a James Madison. Maybe they wanted a Mason Mount. Maybe they wanted like an up, Maybe they wanted Declan Rice to play the left eight. So I, I, I think it's just a combination, you know, of, again, guy from Chelsea who we've been making fun of, a uh, guy who doesn't really have, like, the, 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 the dedicated working hard all the time vibes that, like, you know, people like to see. And then the third is that he's not what people envisioned in that role. And I think people have this problem where, if something is not what they personally would have done, it's wrong automatically. So that's um, that's personally what I think is going on with Havertz. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with your point as well on the left-hand side of the team. I think it's still like new relationships and they're trying to play and 
also it's not just the left hand side it's also the base of midfield which has changed obviously we have Declan Rice there and he's been really good but again it's a new player there and i think in general there's going to be some short term pain for arsenal at points this season because we're completely trying to change how we are playing the personnel we had 84 points last season shaka and party were a really good midfield pairing and probably after man city they were the second best midfield um, in the premier league and arsenal are moving on from both of them and that's not going to be easy you know that's that's a big decision that arteta has taken he has to live by the consequences of that decision do i believe that he's taken the right call in terms of moving on from party and replacing with declan rice absolutely do i think that we have to move on from jaka absolutely but the only thing i would have personally done if possible was to keep jaka obviously now the player wanted to leave but if we could have him for another season that would have been really good i personally felt like just to allow the new signings to integrate but you know yeah. it is what it is we can't cry over what's already happened but we also have other solutions in that area and one of the players that has come really good is fabio viera um in recent matches with his final ball he's been exceptional in fact and it's quite interesting because before arteta was criticized for his in game management and substitutions but this season i think it's been much better especially the last couple of games like the impact that viera has made off the bench is incredible to be honest and both the matches he's played 45 minutes this season he has a penalty one he has an assist to eddie which should have won us the game and unfortunately we had that bozo moment in defense which cost us the three points against fulham and then against united he comes on it's to it's the end of the game you really want to kill the game off especially considering we did concede a late goal in the previous match if you watch if you watch the bench cam arteta was like trying to tell viera to run it down uh and try to go take it to the corner flag probably but viera saw that run of hesus and just picked him out and it's a kdbs yeah. pass right there defense splitting perfect pace timing everything was perfect and obviously gabriel hesus who we will get on to um obviously took it really well but fabio viera in the little time he's been given chance this season has really impressed hasn't he sham and honestly at this moment in time don't you think he should play over havertz or would you still stick with the same it it depends what we're trying to do i i think he's definitely knocking on the door at this point you know if he starts then he's earned it um yeah it 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 depends on what arteta wants to do and it also depends on the other personnel that we're deploying right i don't think i would play viera in front of you know zinchenko right um but if tomiyasu is playing left back and then you have rice as well then i like that base and gabriel mm-hmm. right if tomiyasu is playing left back and you have gabriel at center back and rice is at the base of midfield i like that i like that kind of um uh what's what i'm looking for here um solidity yeah yeah i i i like that i like that group of players to make up for perhaps mm-hmm. you know a lack of defensive solidity that viera has mm-hmm. um yeah it it really just depends on like what we're trying to do and like are we trying to break up a defense that's sitting back or are we playing like one of those you know end to end games 
where you have to win every duel and it's about, you know, winning the ball back in really uncomfortable areas for the opponent. Um, you know, so you're not just building up and um, having to play through midfield. You can just win the ball back in their third and score. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't start him in games like these. Right. Mm-hmm. I still like Havertz in games like these because Havertz at the end of the day is a guy who's, again, really good at winning the ball back. And, um, you know, just provides, you know, that back post cross threat. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think eventually he'll be really good at combining, especially if you have Jesus and Zinchenko there. But if we're up against a deep block, right, if we're playing in Everton, if we're playing, you know, Wolves or, or, or Palace or something like that, I, I do lean towards Vieira. Because, you know, like you said, Vieira's that guy with... A, with I, He probably has one of the best final balls in the squad. Mm-hmm. So Vieira's that guy that you need to pick the lock to, you know, to open up a defense that's um, proving tough to break down, to play that ball that really, you know, just... Um, really just confuses and, like, splits open an opposing defense. And, and also, you know, you're playing in a game state where if you lose the ball... They might counter, or you might be able to win it back, depending on, you know, on your team setup, right? If we're if we have seven guys in the final third, and then it's Saliba and Gabriel behind them, and you know we're we're doing that thing where Party plays right back again or something like that, right? Um, if you have like that box, if you're doing like that two two six, and you have you know you have enough guys behind them to behind you to win the ball back, then I like the idea of having a Vieira in there alongside an Odegaard to play that final ball. And and just you know make it a little harder for that defense to to survive and create chances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it it really it really depends. So, but I I think I think the win here is that Vieira is kind of an equal option now to Havertz, and it's just it really just depends on how you want to set up what what you're trying to play to do, and um, yeah. So I think he definitely is an option at this point. You you, you can't deny it with with the kind of form he's been in. Yeah, yeah, and I I really like your point on Tommy Asu needing to play probably if Vieira is there uh, to cover for some of his defensive deficiencies, and we saw it as well towards the end of the game. Arteta brought Tommy Asu on for Zinchenko, Vieira on for Havertz, and I thought that was a really nice balance in that left hand yeah. side. And Reese Nelson came and cooked like he always does as well off the bench, and there was a very nice dynamic down that side. And I think this is a good headache to have. Also, we're going to get into the busy part of the season soon where we're going to play Carabao Cup, Champions League, Premier League. So, we're really going to use our squad. Obviously, Trossard, Smithro, Fabio Vieira, these players who have maybe played a bit lesser than they should have, especially Smithro and Trossard, uh, because they didn't... Uh, I think Trossard played against Forrest and didn't, didn't play at all. And Smithro has not had a single minute this season. So going to be interesting few weeks ahead when we play some of these competitions and we have to use our squad more. Uh, I think, yeah, we're going to see more uh, from these players and, yeah, hopefully they will deliver because I think now they're at a stage where they've adapted. It's not like they're coming into a new setup which is dysfunctional because in the past, I think our teams that we put out uh, for the Europa League and other cup competitions were very weak to compete in those, but now... I think we can compete and yeah, hopefully Fabio Vieira can continue uh, his good form. I would personally play him over Havertz against Everton and play Tommy Asu at the back. 
but that's just mm-hmm. a personal preference because he's been so good, you know, and he's had three contributions in his last 45 minutes. And you have to reward that, I think, with a start. Like, I think you just have to do that. And Havertz yeah. will get his chances. And also at the moment, maybe Havertz is not in his best form and people are criticizing him left, right, center. So it's always not a bad idea to keep him out for a few games, let him develop in peace without all of that uh, pressure behind on him, you know, to play because every single pass of his is being scrutinized at the moment. So I think, yeah, for Havertz, it's about getting his confidence back. And I think, yeah, I think against Everton, I would personally look to um, play Vieira and like keep Havertz uh, on the bench and bring him off in case we need him. Although that match, others will also say that it's going to be a very physical contest. So maybe you want his dual winning capacity. Just It's just a matter of how you view it. Because yeah. Newcastle away, I'll just give you an example. Newcastle away is a really physical game. It's probably the most physical game you can get in the Premier League. And we played who in the base of midfield? Jorginho, who's not a yeah. not super physical, but he has the IQ and he has the technical qualities and he was able to play well. So I think players like Vieira, who are really good technically, they can be the answer in games like this where it's going to be super physical. So very interested to see uh, how he does. Um, yeah. Could, and- could, I, could I just... Sorry, could I just add? I think, I think the big picture here is that we have a bench full of players now who are mm-hmm. legitimate options, right? And, you know, even last season, we you, you would look at the bench sometimes and be like, oh, I don't want him to come on. I don't, you know, I don't... I don't want I don't want Cedric to come on. I don't want Sambi to to feature, right? But now, you know, you look at Vieira and Smith Rowe and Trussard and Jorginho, and and these are all guys who can come on and you know, most most fans would think to themselves they have something to offer here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that in itself is a really big win because we have all these different options on the pitch who can come on and depending on how Arteta wants to approach a game. Um, or even see out a game or or chase after a win. There's a bunch of different ways that you can go about it, and that makes us unpredictable and also adaptable. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that in its own, if, if you think less about who starts and just kind of think about all the different ways that you could attack a problem, um, I think that's really, really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. You know, more solutions, that's what we want. Um, you also saw, I think, against United, they brought on who? Maguire and Evans. And we brought on Gabriel Jesus and he finished the game off. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's a great luxury to have this season. And I think Arteta is using his squad more, which is very encouraging. And yeah, hopefully uh, that continues going into the season because there's no way we can win the league by playing the same 11 every single week. You know, we have to rotate our squad, our players to make sure that everyone's fit, everyone's fresh. And everyone's on their toes a bit because healthy competition is needed. You can't have the same 11 players beyond the point. So, yeah, I think that's a big positive for us so far uh, this season. But, Sham, I want to get your thoughts so on the season as a whole. I just want, mm-hmm. like, your overall review of the season before we get into the listener questions. Me, personally, I think it's been a good season so far. I know the Fulham game is very frustrating. Like, it's should not drop points in the way we did. But hopefully we can take our lessons from that one. But apart from that, we played five games. One, 
the community shield against city which was a really positive start to the season and out of four league games we won three one was against united one was against palace where in the last 13 games palace played at selhurst park they have lost two and which came against arsenal and manchester city so i think there are a lot of positives to take from these four games we haven't been at our best but we still won three and you know it could have looked very different maybe if we drop points against united we would be here saying okay what is it that is going wrong because we have not been at our best but i think the sign of a good team is when you're not playing at your best to still manage to get results over the line and champ we've just managed to do that haven't we like we've not been at our best but we found ways to win which i think is a positive and there are a lot of learnings a lot of other uh things to also keep in mind like we cannot switch off after the 8th minute when we are ahead for example yeah. but i think overall it's positive isn't it it's really positive yeah i mean 10 10 points out of 12 is is nothing to to be disappointed by um the i do keep coming back to the fulham match because that that one you know we threw that one away right and I think that's my I think my two main complaints so far this season are one it just you know something hasn't really clicked yet you know we seem a little clunky offensively um again that left hand side you know I don't think the relationships have really developed to the point where you have that understanding that you know allows the play to be a lot smoother and you know a lot more polished like it needs to be I think that I think that will come with time but um you know even on even on the right hand side i think you know the 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 party at right back tactic while you know i don't hate it necessarily i think you do sacrifice that overlapping ability that you know white provides right and then as a result you have uh saka up against two to three defenders having to beat them by himself maybe odegard can come over and help combine but it's not you know it's not the same so i think I think there are some things to be ironed out on that front. And then the other thing, and I think this is the big issue. The big issue so far is our openness at the back, right? And um, you know, we only kept a clean sheet one of these games. And again, we've played Forest, we played Palace, we played Fulham, and we played United who plays like those first three teams. So um I do think part of it is just us being punished to the extreme. for for allowing chances right like again Rashford seems to love scoring world class goals against us um you know that was a pretty pretty low xg shot that he put past Ramsdale um but the Fulham game we handed them two goals and then Forest you know we got hit on the counter and White got done pretty badly for the Awani goal um and then the Palace game I think it was kind of scrappy obviously that's that's the one we kept the clean, the the clean sheet in but you know I just think that while there is some risk that comes with the way that we play, right? Again, we're committing a lot of men forward. Uh we're a little bit more susceptible to the counter than most teams are when you play this way. Um so you know, that's part of the territory, but I I think we're not really helping ourselves and I think we're letting in a lot of chances that shouldn't be going in as often as they are. So I don't know I don't know whether that's a goalkeeping issue or whether that's a defensive issue. um or whether we're just getting unlucky but that's i think that's something that needs to be dealt with because again 
you know, we scored the same number of goals as City last year, but we conceded far more than they did. So that's that's the part that we have to get better at. And if you're conceding one to two goals a game, you're not going to win the title. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know, yeah, like you mentioned, like we make small mistakes, it seems, in certain phases of the game and we're just punished, you know? Like I think the Premier League is so merciless as well that if you make even the slightest of mistake, you're going to get punished because players at the top level, they just, you know, even Elanga, he's playing for Forest, which is supposed to be a team that's going to finish 16-17. You gave him a little bit of space and he made you pay. And the same for Fulham. They're 10 men down, but they still have players who can attack the box, score from a corner. And United, obviously, Rashford. And as you mentioned, Ben White forgets how to defend when he's up against Rashford. Otherwise, he's usually quite composed. Um, but yeah, Rashford, I think, makes him get really flustered. And we should have avoided that goal as well. So, yeah, we keep saying defend better in the boxes. And this is, I think, still my biggest question mark. Two biggest question marks, actually, that I have with Arsenal. One is the errors. Can you cut it out? And two, we have to, like, in certain moments of the game, learn how to play at a slower tempo. You know, especially when we're ahead learn to take the sting out of the game, keep the ball, make it really boring. And Manchester City did it as well against Newcastle, um, where they absolutely took the sting out of the game, made it the most boring game in the world, and ended up coming out on top um, and just seeing out the game. And that's what I want to see more from Arsenal. Like, I want us to show lesser character, you know? I know it sounds silly to say, but I think we show too much character sometimes, like, more character than we need to show. It's about playing well and making sure you just you don't make it hard for yourselves for it to get to the point where you have to show character. So that's what I, yeah. I really want us to work on in the coming games. And I know we're a young team, but I think as fans and also I'm sure the manager as well will be demanding a lot more uh, in terms of general application in certain phases of the game. So hopefully we can get better at this. Yeah, I... I, so I, I have a question for you. Um, are you disappointed that we didn't bring in anyone new during the transfer window? Absolutely. Like I think we should have signed another player uh, or two players. I think even with the signing of Timber, I would have liked a right-back, centre-back hybrid, another one. Because I think we're quite short in the defensive department. I know Tomiyasu played well against uh, Germany yesterday and on his day, he can be really good. But I still think that, you know, we need another body. And, and unfortunately, we didn't manage to get it. So that was quite disappointing for me. I always think Arsenal end the windows a little bit, like leaving us a bit wanting in terms of, I always think we could have done more at the end of every window. And yeah. it's the same even for this window. So hopefully it won't cost us because in January, you're going to have a lot of your players going uh, for like African Cup of Nations. Like Thomas Partey will go. Tommy Asu will go for the Asia Cup, which is going to happen in January as well. So they're going to be even more shorter during that period. So it's very important for us, uh, you know, to make sure that we have numbers there. And unfortunately, I think we've been left a bit short. I think the solutions are going to be internal. I think Declan Rice might be an option. You might play Jorginho and play Rice in defence. So I think, yeah, it's up to us to adapt. But quite disappointed personally that we 
then managed to bring another body in. What do you think? Yeah. And, you know, it's just us talking about our defensive deficiencies kind of got me thinking about this, right? Um, because we are, we're doing that thing where we rely on something happening that we haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. right? Where, um, you know, because I thought we should have brought in a right back to to end the window. And instead, I think we've chosen to rely on Party and Tomiyasu being consistently available until at least January 1st. And then maybe we get a guy in the first week of the seat, the first week of the window mm-hmm. party's already out for several weeks, right? As soon as the window ended parties, you know, I think it was his groin or something. So yeah. his, his party just decided to, you know, give out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Tommy Austin's kind of had the same issue where, you know, he's, he's been out for, with long-term injuries a few times now. And so it, it it was kind of frustrating to see Arsenal basically say, yeah, no, Tommy, uh, Tommy Asu and party can stay fit until January. Easy. Um, and just kind of relying on that. Um, so, yeah, it is it is going to be really interesting to see what happens, because if, you know, we you have obviously White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, and then, you know, you have Kivior in there behind Zinchenko and Gabriel and you have Tomiyasu can play across that entire back four. But it's it only takes a couple injuries until you're suddenly starting the same four guys over and over and over again. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, do we want to put that burden on Real Walters? He he might be ready, but I I I don't know that personally. And that, that seems like a big gamble to make when you are back in the Champions League. <coughs> excuse me. When you are back in the Champions League for the first time since, you know, seven years ago. And you're probably the second best team in the league and therefore competing for the title. Um, so it's, it, it's a really big gamble. And I don't like the idea either of waiting until January and bringing in a guy, you know, sure. They've hopefully been playing for most of the season and you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about them coming up to, or, you know, getting their fitness right. But it, it just, I don't, I don't like grabbing a guy out of another team, probably out of another league and then dropping them into um, not necessarily the busiest part of the season, but definitely, you know, a part of the season where everyone else is probably in, you know, top or second to top gear. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what we do there. But yeah, it feels like we've left ourselves short in defense again, because as things stand, Roel Walters is going to be White's backup for a month and a half, maybe. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be the only solution if things get very bad. I know Man City last season, they brought in Rico Lewis, I believe, uh, from, um, he came from the academy and he was a good internal solution for them. So I think it's up to Arteta, maybe in the Carabao Cup, to try and integrate Walters in because I think Walters is a really good player. He's a big talent that's coming out of Hale and But obviously, it's a huge ask to ask him to come straight away and play for the first team. He's also made his fair share of mistakes uh, for the youth team. So it's not like he's perfect and flawless at youth level either. He's a good player, talented player, raw. And my worry is if he comes in and makes a mistake, knowing our fan base, people are going to start shouting and turn on him. And like, I don't want that to happen to a young player who's just coming in uh, to the first team. So I think we have to protect him and hopefully it doesn't get so bad to the point where 
we have to actually rely on a player from the academy to come and save the day. So, yeah, I totally agree with you on uh, your assessment as well of the defense. Hopefully, we have some options in mind for January. Uh, but yeah, I was very surprised we didn't manage to bring in another player and quite disappointed by that. But it is what it is. We can only now focus on what we have. And yeah, I guess, again, please, no injuries. Like, we cannot afford to have more injuries in our team. And hopefully we won't this time. Fingers crossed we won't have injuries and we can keep the group fit. And if we yeah. manage to do that, I think it should not be a problem. But worst case scenario, Declan Rice in defense, Jorginho, number six. It's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world either. Good teams manage with injuries. Manchester City got 100 points when De Bruyne missed the whole season uh, back in 2017-18. So we cannot have excuses. We have to show that to be champions, we have to do it regardless of who's available. So, yeah, I prefer to view it from that angle. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think personally we have the squad to compete for the league. We've started well. Let's keep the group fit and see uh, where that takes us. But on that note, I think it's a good time to get into the listener questions as we are approaching the 50-minute mark. Sure. Um, yeah. And if I think I think we could read out maybe four questions and I can start um, with a question from Henry. Not Thierry Henry, but someone called at all right Henry on Twitter. Uh, he says, what do you think about Howard so far? I think we already sort of went over that. But he also asks, do you think Emil Smith-Rowe should be starting over him? I think personally, if anyone is to start over Howard at this point, it's Fabio Vieira. I think Smith-Rowe has not been given chances to show what he can do. I agree on that. But I think in the Carabao Cup, he will get chances. And he might also get a few chances off the bench. Now, I think most of the games we've played, uh, I don't think it's been the ideal game state for someone like Smithrow to come in because already Vieira has come on the pitch and then we wanted like pacey, like wingers out wide uh, to, you know, try to attack. So I don't, I don't think these were the right games for Smithrow to come off the bench. But what I will say is that it's up to Smithrow now, you know, in the Carabao Cup games for him to show that he belongs um, with us, he belongs in that first 11. He has the talent to be in the first 11. I think we all can agree on that. But if I'm to answer you, I think, like, no, I don't think he's the player to replace Harvard as of this moment. He has to show it in the Carabao Cup. And if he shows that he has really raised his level to the point where it's impossible for the manager to overlook him, then he is in. But for now, I don't think he has merited a place in the starting 11. What are your thoughts, Sham? Yeah, the the Smith Rowe situation is is tough, right? Because I, I I wouldn't start him over Havertz. I think I, I I agree. If there's anyone you start over Havertz right now, it's probably Vieira. And and like we said, even then, it, you know, it depends on the situation and the personnel around him. But yeah, yeah. Um, with with Smith Rowe, I think he we talk about Tomiyasu like this a little bit, and I think Smith Rowe is um, probably the poster child for this phenomenon. I think Smith Rowe is a victim of being too versatile, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, because if you think about it, he can play left eight, right eight. He can play left wing. I think he has a trace to play false nine, and Arteta has said as much. So, you know, those, and 
I, I think if you absolutely needed him to, he could probably play on the right flank as well, right? Obviously, I think we have a lot of options there, so we're not going to see yeah. it. But um, he's an extremely versatile player, and he's very much a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Maybe the closest he comes to being uh, a master of a position in his left wing. So, you know, at, at, at left eight, you know, I think he's he, he would be an amazing carrier, but um, you need people to combine with. And mm-hmm. Martinelli is not... I don't think Martinelli and Smithrow would combine well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'd combine really well with Jesus, but, it, uh, again, I just don't see him fitting into, uh, into that left eight role based on his traits. And, you know, I've heard people talk about maybe switching Odegaard and Smithrow and having Odegaard play the left eight and then Smithrow playing right eight. I think that is a pretty viable idea, but we're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then on on the other side of that, Smith Rowe, I, I I think in in the left eight position, right? If you are to do a one for one swap with Havertz, you need a guy to come in there who can contribute off the ball and especially defensively, right? Yeah, and absolutely. you know, I've I've indicated I don't think Vieira is that guy, and therefore you you need to change the system around him a little bit. I think the same goes for Smithrow, where he's not that guy that you can rely on to make the recoveries and win the aerial duels and make the tackles, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think once you once you lose the ball, he's almost a non-factor. So, but I think he's better defensively than Vieira, isn't he, Smithrow? Like, I, I, think I would say so. More yeah, intensity about him, maybe. I mean, yeah, he's and like he's he's six feet tall. You know, he's 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 yeah. solidly built, right? So. You know, he's he's definitely someone who I, I you know, if I if I if you had Vieira and Smith Rowe standing in front of me and you asked me which one is more likely to to win duels, I'd point at Smith Rowe. But mm-hmm. um, I just don't think that is a really developed part of his game yet. And so for, you know, for for those reasons, the versatility or the versatility and kind of the lack of beating out anyone in a specific position you just kind of find him sitting on the bench as an option for a bunch yeah. of different spots. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do with Smith Rowe. We clearly don't want to sell him, but at the same time he has to play and he hasn't, he hasn't touched the pitch yet. Um, so it is, it is a question worth asking. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with them. But to, to answer the base question, no, I, I, I think mm-hmm. I would go with Havertz over Smith Rowe at this point in time. Yep, yeah, cannot agree more. Do you want to read the next right. one? Sure. I so this question is from Red Gunner at Solhadex 66. And he asks Both Gabriel Jesus and Enkedia have an impressive start this season. Who do you think should be in the starting eleven? Uh Jesus. And um I, 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 let me let me talk about Enkedia for a second. I think we have all, with with the exception of a few people, really underrated Enkedia, right? And I think he's proven at this point in time that he deserves to be in the team, right? His 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 hold up and link up play, I think, have really improved. He's definitely one of the two best finishers in the team. I would say, um, you know, he runs the channels. He he um, kind of stretches defenses. Um, and my favorite thing about him is just his willingness to work and work and work, right? 
um, and he's given so many interviews about this. And we all remember the moment in um, in uh, All or Nothing, the the Amazon documentary, where he told Sanby to, you know, stop complaining and just, you know, get back to work. Um, so yeah, he's really he's really hustled and grinded, and he, you know, he's earned his England uh, national team call up. But all that being said, I think. And I, I, I said this online yesterday. I think Gabriel Jesus is the second best stri- uh, striker in, in, the, um, in the Premier League. Um, you know, just, just his ability to carry the ball and his combination ability and his, his, his trickiness and his dexterity with the ball, um, you know, and kind of that willingness to just play at full speed over and over and over again. Um, and then, you know, he's an elite presser, probably one of the best in the world. Um, there's a reason Guardiola referred to him as the best defensive forward in the world. Um, he is a level raiser for for the for the offense, right? He comes in, Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli immediately look better, and hopefully, I, I expect this this effect will also pertain to Havertz as well. I think he's going to come in, he's going to start, you know, um, being included in the starting lineup, and I think Havertz will also see um, a rise in his performances as well. So mm-hmm. I think Jesus is just that guy who who makes the attack better. And, um, you know, I think Enkedia isn't necessarily a guy who increases the, uh, you know, the performances of the people around him, right? He'll put the ball in the back of the net, and he is a really, really, really excellent backup option for Jesus. But I think... I think Jesus is just that little bit better than him and, um, you know, just has a little bit more talent there. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here bashing Eddie. I, I, I think he's a great player. I don't, I think you would be very hard pressed to find a, a, um, a second option at striker in the premier league. That's better than he is. But um, yeah, I, I think Jesus, especially after what he showed in his cameo against United, um, as soon as he's 100% fit, I think he needs to be in the starting 11. Yeah, no, could not agree more. I think what we see as well as Martinelli is always not at his best when Eddie is on the pitch. And it's not to blame Eddie. It's more the profile of player that Eddie is. Martinelli is a player who needs rotations from the center forward. He needs the center forward to be a guy that can facilitate and bring him into the game. And we've seen with, when Eddie is on the pitch, Martinelli has to take more of a creative role and I know people are blaming Havertz for Martinelli's dip in form, but it's actually, I think, Eddie. We saw it last season as well. In those games, Eddie was playing. Martinelli was not anywhere near his best because he was playing this creative role, and that's not the type of player he is. He's the type of player who likes to make runs off the ball, come at full speed. And you saw the moment Jesus was on the pitch, Martinelli was coming on the inside, giving it to Jesus and playing given goals and was combining. So I think Gabriel Jesus is a player that brings the full Arsenal front line to life. And that, that is such a unique ability because not many players, uh, I think, have that ability to just raise the level of everyone around him. Like everyone is a better player with Gabriel Jesus on the pitch. And when he is in that form where he's taking his chances and finishing, nothing like it, you know, because... I think he's been in decent goal-scoring form as well. Like we saw when he came uh, last season uh, towards the back end, he scored against Liverpool. Uh, he scored against Leeds, I believe it was, against Wolves on the last game. 
Uh, he's had good goal scoring form in preseason, and he scored against United. Very well taken goal too. So when if he's in that kind of form, he's amazing. I know sometimes he can be a bit frustrating with his finishes, can snap at chances sometimes. But I think yeah, if he can just you know stay on it throughout in terms of his finishing. I think he's. He, you can't really ask for anything more from a centre forward. So, I think it's an absolute no-brainer as well that Jesus has to play uh, from next game, and I think he will play from next game as well. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Maybe Havertz is better with someone like Jesus as well. Maybe he also needs the centre forward to come deep, combine, and play. So, going to be an interesting one against Everton to see who is playing in certain positions. Um, the next question comes from Ovura Jr. You can find him on Twitter at Ovura J. He says, I'm so worried for Smithrow not starting, man. Please, do you have any signs of him making his first Premier League appearance this weekend against Everton? Yeah, I think we sort of touched upon it. So, I mean, I don't think he plays against Everton personally. I don't think he comes off the bench unless... We are like really ahead in the game, like 3-0 or 4-0. I don't see Arteta giving him the chance just yet. I still think as Sham and I mentioned before that Fabio Vieira is ahead of him. And Fabio Vieira has to play uh, if Havertz is not playing. But I do think after the Everton game, I think we have like the Carabao Cup, the Champions League. And I think in those games, Mitro definitely can play and can get some chances in those games. So... I think for him, his first chances in the league could still be delayed by a few more games. It might come around October, probably. And I think he has to wait. He has to be patient for his chance, train hard, play well when he gets the opportunity. And as we've seen, players that train well, train hard, stick through the hard times like Eddie, they will end up getting chances. And that's what Smithrow has to do as well. Uh, I know he, there was a lot of interest in Smithrow at the end of the season and the end of the transfer window obviously Chelsea came knocking and that tells you also about the caliber of player he is that a lot of pretty big sides are in for him obviously he's a very talented player but for him now it's about yeah do what you can the chances you have train very hard and play so well that people are saying oh should we bench Odegaard or or Havertz for you and I think that's the standards that Smithro has to hit he has the talent to do it, but whether he will actually end up fulfilling that or not, time will tell, Sham. Yeah, yeah. I I don't really have much to add there. I yeah, I I don't know how how much Smith Rowe is going to play this season, and um, I I think he'll get cup games. I think he might be an option in the Champions League, where you know things are a little bit more open, and that carrying ability that he has is um is even more useful. But in in the Premier League, I think he I think he needs a couple of people in front of him to get injured before he starts seeing the pitch, right? And um, it's it, it it's tough because you know there are, as much as there are several different options in this squad, Smithrow is in a bit of a bind because there are players in this team who have very similar traits to him, but perhaps are a little bit more reliable, right? I think Trussard, when we signed Trussard, I, you know, it did make me kind of wonder what the plan was with Smith Rowe. And then Havertz, I think, also has some some similar traits to him as well. Um, when we kept on Nelson, 
to essentially be Martinelli's, you know, uh, understudy. That that was that's another thing. So, you know, we've we've done a bunch of things that indicate that we rate other players above Smith Rowe, and then we've still held on to him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what we're gonna do, and um, it'll be fascinating to see what we what we decide. Um, I will say, I think if Smith Rowe doesn't get that much playing time this season, then we're selling him in the summer. Um, uh, I, I think I think Smith Rowe himself will will be very much pushing to leave if that's the case. So, um, yeah, time will tell. But I'm at this point in time, I I don't know when we're gonna see him. Yep. Um, we'll take one more question, and this one is also from uh, Red Gunner. I just think it's a really interesting question, and uh, one that might be relevant in the coming weeks. He says. I all I think having two world class goalkeepers isn't really a nice idea because one will be benched often. What do you think? I actually don't mind the idea. Um, I I think I think at, at this stage of the game, at this level, you need all the marginal gains you can get. And as much as I liked Matt Turner, there was always I'll, I'll put it like this: every time. Ramsdale pulled up for a second during matches, which happened a few times over the course of the season, you know, or a physio would have to come look at him. I always found myself wondering, how are we going to do for a few games if we we don't have Ramsdale there to, you know, improve our buildup, right? Um, and it was, it, was, it was a big worry of mine. I think Ramsdale last season was one of the top three players who, if, if they went down, we were going to have a hard time replacing so with Raya in the team, not only is it good competition for Ramsdale, not only is it a um, you know, a safety valve in the event that um, you know, Ramsdale has a dip in form or you know, we decide we want to go another way, but also now we have someone who can come in and play that level, if not better, if Ramsdale's out. So I think those two are gonna make each other better. And, I mean, in terms of the benching thing, the way I think about it is this. I think one way or another, Raya was going to sit on a bench this season because Brentford went and signed another keeper who was supposed to start over him. So, I, you know, I know the question that was posed to Raya was, would you rather be on the bench for Brentford or would you rather be on the bench for Arsenal? Most most goalkeepers, I think, would take Arsenal. Um, so, I, you know... I think he'll have opportunities this year. I think he's definitely playing cup games, right? We we already asked Brentford for permission for for him to play against them in the in the I think it was the Carabao Cup coming up soon, right? And I'll probably feature in the FA Cup as well. And then Champions we, League and Premier League. Upload, can we just sure. applaud Brentford as well for giving him permission? Like that's a very classy gesture which you don't see very often. They're the such a classy game. club, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Un- unless yeah. they beat us 3 nil, then I might reconsider. But <laughs> <laughs> no, they yeah, I, I think um I think they've been more than helpful. Um, you know, because they also kind of helped us structure the deal in a way where we didn't have to pay them all that money up front. And I I had hoped that would lead to us making another signing, but but you never know. Um but yeah, mm-hmm. I you know, I, I I like I think it's a great idea for all those reasons. And also on top of that, I think I think there is some kind of um, adaptability 
you can engage in with Ramsdale and Raya, where, you know, if you want to go over the top of defenses, I think Raya is probably the guy you want there, right? That's a specialty, the long range pass. Um, you know, as, as Sash has mentioned a couple times, you know, excellent distro, but with, with Ramsdale, he's more of a, of a buildup guy, right? More of the mid range passer. Um, I, and you know, his, I, I will say people talk about his inaccurate long passes. I think part of that is trying to just put the ball in a place where it's harder for the opposition to do something with it. Um, but you know, if you want, if you want accurate long range passes, I think Rye is the guy. So I'm not entirely sure this will happen. I did reference this on a video I did um, a few weeks ago, but I think there is a possibility that we might see different keepers used based on the defense that we're coming up against and how we want to play. So it's, it's just nice to have those two guys with, you know, with that level, with that talent, with that slight difference in ability. And um, you know, they're there, they're being paid for their time. So I don't really, worry much about you know who's playing and who's not i i think i think again at this level of the game you need every advantage you could get and if that means having um two goalkeepers who are excellent at what they do competing for one position then you know that's that that's fine by me but sash what do you think yeah i think you hit the nail on the head and i don't have too much to add here i always have i said it before as well on our podcast with um alex um, that I always wanted competition for Ramsdale. Firstly, there has to be an investigation into why he's so good away from home in hostile grounds. But somehow at home, that same consistency has been missing. And personally, I would consider dropping him after the international break and playing Raya. I know it's a very controversial take, but I think Ramsdale sometimes strikes me as the sort of character that can lose focus, lose concentration, and I think he's a keeper that needs to be on his toes to bring out the best in him, you know. And you saw it even at the start in his Arsenal career when everyone wrote him off how well he played in those three months. I think for Ramsdale, you need to like, you know, he needs to have that pressure that something is on the line. And last season, I don't think your boy Matt Turner gave him that. Uh, he was just vibing with the team. Didn't really offer much in build-up. He's a good shot stopper, to be fair to Matt Turner, but didn't really do much apart from that. And he, there was really no threat to Ramsdale at any point that he might lose his place. So really happy that we signed David Raya. And I would even consider playing Raya against Everton. Um and just to try to get a reaction from Ramsdale to make him play at a better level than he is right now. Because I know he can be a lot, lot better than what he has shown maybe in a few games this season. So, he's, I mean, against, for example, against Fulham, should have done better in the first goal. Uh, and, you know, the positioning was a bit. And against United, should have probably saved that Rashford effort if you're being saved. Um, and against Forrest, yeah, you can't really blame him much. But in general, he's not looked like the same keeper he was before, not showing the same level of authority, played a few stray passes as well. So he can do better than this. And I think we need to play Raya to actually push Ramsdale to be the best version of himself. So, yeah, I would yeah. make the chance too. Yeah. And I have heard this idea of maybe playing Raya at home and Ramsdale away. Maybe there is something to that. Um, yeah, yeah, time will tell. But I, 
I think it was a good move by um, by the club. Um, one more thing before we get out of here, just because I, I do want to get your opinion on this, Sash. How do you feel about Nicola Pepe's exit from the club? Well, I just want to say one thing, yeah, because all the United fans and rival fans on Twitter, they spend hours trolling Pepe. And it's true, he didn't live up to his 72 million price tag. But you look at some of the others who have been signed for higher prices, talking about Anthony, I'm talking about Jaden Sancho. Like, what have they even done, like, for United so far that uh, they have the right to troll Pepe? Because Pepe won us an FA Cup. Like, he was so good in the semi-final and final. Assist versus City. Assist versus Chelsea. The winning FA Cup final goal that Aubameyang scored. And look, Pepe has been a decent player. He's not, like, obviously fulfilled his price tag. But he did score, like, 10 or 11 goals. Uh, in 2021-2022, which was his first, like, proper season after he had a preseason. I thought he improved that season under Arteta, had some good moments, got some good goals, some crucial goals, did well in the Europa League group stages as well when he got the chances. Ultimately, he's a player that didn't really fit what the manager wanted, and that's okay, because Arteta didn't sign him first and foremost. And I think he's a player that relies on transition. He needs, you know, that space to actually thrive. And he gets that in Liga and maybe he will get that in Turkey as well. Um, but I think trolling him beyond a point, like, what does it achieve? Like, he's come, he, he's obviously trying his best as well. Just didn't work out for him in the way that it would at Arsenal. He's also a bit unlucky that we had this wonder kid called Bukayo Saka playing that same position. So, it's a bit unfortunate for him. Obviously, the club and Arteta thought that you know, Saka is the guy to play that. And you have to play and groom Saka and develop him because his ceiling is out of this world. And that's what the club has done. I think it's the correct decision too. Just a bit disappointed again that the club does not get transfer fee for him. Have to terminate his contract. We have done that a few times. A few times too many in my opinion. But all the best to Pepe. Uh, thank you for the FA Cup. And yeah, once a gunner, always a gunner. There's no need to troll anyone, abuse anyone. He tried his best. He won a trophy. He scored some nice goals. Sometimes transfers don't work out. And I think Arsenal have learned from that mistake. Um, And I think it's a good move for both Arsenal and for Pepe to part ways right now. And hope things go well for him um, in Besiktas. Yeah. I... I've graduated to just kind of feeling bad for Pepe. I think um, I think if he was a forty million pound signing, then it would have been fine, right? Um, nothing, nothing crazy, but you know he had he had his contributions. Um, but yeah, I just um, I feel sorry for him because you know we we had a director or we had a technical director who. I don't want to throw accusations around, but you know, he, he wasn't good at his job and he, Respect he did... Don Raul, my friend, he brought Saliba uh, and Gabriel Martinelli to the club. Sure. Yeah, I mean, those... 30 million. He, yeah, so, he did, yeah, he did those parts very well, but I, and he I also sold the Wobi for 40 million. So this is true. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess from, from Pepe's perspective, I just feel bad because this guy was balling out in France and then, 
we went and signed him for way too much money. And, you know, it was it was a deal shady enough that Tim Lewis looked at it and immediately sacked Raul Sanyehi, Um, which I think, you know, we'll probably never know the the true details of, of what happened there. But I think that tells you something if, um, you know, if the 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 trusted lawyer for the owners looked at a deal and then, you know, within days kind of walked out the 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 technical technical director i think that's a good indication but we signed pepe we put this massive price tag on him made him our record signing um you know placed all this expectation on on him and had people ready to troll him as soon as he stopped performing and yeah and we threw him into a system that he was never really designed to play in right um and i uh, it also makes me feel bad for Emery because Emery wanted Wilfred Zaha. And then for eight million pounds less, we went and got a guy who was just, you know, not. You're, you're on mute. Sorry, if I might just if I might just sure. cut you off for a second. I think the reason Arsenal went for Pepe and not Zaha was because Palace wanted Zaha's 90 million to be paid in a lump sum. Whereas Lil were okay with us paying it over like five years or something like this. So because we okay. were able to pay that in installments, I think that's why the club opted for Pepe. And also he was younger than Zaha at the time. So, I mean, I don't think Zaha was also the perfect player for us to sign. So No, no, probably not. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, you know, we just, we, we signed him. We put this big expectation on him and he came, you know, he did decently, but because of the money we paid and because of the you know the expectation that comes with he never lived up to it and you know i think he will go down as one of our worst signings i'm not sure if he's the worst i said a couple days ago he was the worst i'm gonna walk that back just because i've had some time to think about that take um but yeah i yeah i i just feel bad he got thrown into such a bad situation and his career you know, effectively has has been um, you know, harmed greatly by that, right? This guy used to be one of the most promising wingers in Europe, and now he's off playing for Trabzonspor after we had to terminate his contract so someone would Wait, take it's him. Trabzonspor? So, yeah. Oh, I thought it was Besiktas. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, all, all the best to him. He never, he always seemed like a, you know, pretty decent guy, and I know he... Um, you know, he uh, helps out the youth in Paris from, from time to time. I hear, you know, that he's a pretty generous guy. Um, yeah, so, I mean, all the best to him. No ill will. Um, I, I just I just kind of feel bad at this point. And, um, you know, I think this is this is a, a, a point where we have probably effectively moved on from that era, right? We've, we've gotten rid of almost all of those players, Um the only guy left to get rid of is Cedric, but that's an Arteta signing anyway. So, yeah. and we have a new record signing who I think much more fits um, the the values and style of play and kind of the direction that we that we want to go in. So, um, yeah, you know, just just happy that it ended it ended as amicably as it could have, and um, yeah, all the best to Pepe. Yep, absolutely. All right, so I think that is a good place to put a bow on it for this week. And um, Sash and I will be back hopefully next weekend. And um, we'll be, you know, just discussing some more stuff and, um, you know, kind of talking about the season ahead. 
we might have a guest for you as well in the next episode. So we'll see if we can put that together. In the meantime, um, we're really going to try to you know get some get some um, videos up on on YouTube this week, next week, moving forward. Both of us have been sick recently, so we weren't in video making uh, condition. But um, thank you for listening. And um, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Shamsdale. You can follow Sash at LT Arsenal. You can follow the pod at This Week Arsenal. Be sure to, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video. Um, you know, ring the bell, subscribe, share with your friends. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five star review and subscribe to the pod. And um, again, look out for those videos. And um, again, thank you so much for just being here and um, you know, listening to us chat about the Arsenal. Hopefully this supremely boring international break will be at an end soon, but um, until then stay safe and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.